Welcome, welcome, welcome into Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by Students For You. My name is Peter Roman, and over the next hour, I'll be going through the biggest moments in the world of sports and playing some great music along the way. Sadly, today is my last show of the summer, so this will be the last time that I get to be on air, at least for the summertime, but I hope to be back in the fall at some point continuing to cover all of the awesome sports that I love talking about. So, today's show, starting out with the Africa Cup of Nations final that took place over this past week. I'll dive into some NHL free agency stuff that I wasn't able to the last couple weeks, and then I'm doing a top 10 sports storylines of the summer. I'll have that later on in my show, and then things to look forward to in the rest of 2019 and going ahead to 2020. So, Africa Cup of Nations final, not the best game ever, but congratulations to Algeria who won this game 1-0 in a goal in the third minute. And I'm not going to lie, this is one of the craziest, weirdest deflection goals I've ever seen, especially in a big final like this. Goal, like I said, came in the third minute. Baghdad Bunaja, the Algerian striker, shot it ended up taking a crazy deflection off Asane and floated in the air for a while and then dropped into the net, basically surprising everybody on the field. I don't think anybody from the Algerian players to the coaches to the Senegalese players, Senegalese coaches, I don't think anyone actually thought the ball was going to drop into the net, but it did. And they had a one nothing lead, and that was all they needed because that was, in the end, good enough for them to win the game. Now, I know normally in a game, if you looked at stats and you just saw, oh, well, Senegal held Algeria to one shot on target, you'd think they would have won the game. But, nope, the one shot on target got deflected and went into the net. So, Senegal, sadly, they they were probably the better team in this game, but they could not find that... open. They couldn't find that equalizing goal, especially after the early Algerian goal. I'll give Algeria... I give Algeria a lot of credit. I think they defended really well in this game as far as closing off and trying to counteract what Senegal was trying to do. For Senegal, though, I just feel like they didn't create enough high-quality chances because I don't think they had enough penetration in the defense of Algeria. Like, Sadio Mane was a guy who I thought... I I know he didn't score in the game, but I thought he played pretty well. He got fouled a lot in this game, but Mane was making things happen. He was driving at the defense. He was trying to get space out wide, trying to make something happen. He just, you know, he got fouled a lot, so he wasn't quite able to finish a lot of the moves that he was hoping to. But I'm looking at a lot of the other talent on the, in the Senegalese front line, and I just I don't think there was enough from them in creating the high-quality chances they needed. There was a interesting moment in this game, and again, this goes back to talks I've had throughout the Women's World Cup and throughout the Copa America this summer about how FIFA need to change their rule book because once again, we had an interesting... I wouldn't call it controversial because I kind of agree with what the call was in the end, but it's still not... It's one I don't like. So, Senegal in the 65 fifth minute, I believe, of the match, sometime around there, they ended up getting a handball call in the box and got a penalty shot, but video assistant referee looked at it, and in the end, the referee decided to reverse the call, and I don't blame the referee for reversing the call just because when you look at the replay, the Algerian defender, his arm is right next to his body, like it's really close, and it feels like it would be really harsh to give a handball in that situation. But I go back to the discussion I've had for several weeks, and that is, it's not the video assistant referee's fault that the rule book is bad. The reason why there's this controversy around the handball rule is because of the rule itself. It has nothing to do with the video replay. Because the handball rule is just way too subjective in the way it's worded and the way it's enforced, because one referee will call a handball differently than another referee does. And having ref for five years in soccer, I know firsthand that my discretion of what I consider a handball is different from what another referee might consider a handball because it's a subjective rule. And that's the problem with it is that you get the video assistant referee looking at an incident like this and they're like, you know, "Ah, it's close, but we're going to get the referee to look at it. And, you know, they they make a choice. 
I agree with the choice they made on the field in this game, but it once again is a perfect example of how FIFA need to change the rules. The handball rule has to be fixed in soccer because I think it is at as currently written, as currently it is, it is too subjective and not clear-cut enough to avoid the subjective, controversial, you know, can go either way 50-50 calls. I think they need to really take a look at how the rule is worded and change it. But anyway, that was probably Senegal's one of their better chances in the game was a handball that ended up getting reversed in the box. And in the end, Algeria are the champions of Africa for the second time ever in their history. They won previously back in 1988. So this is their second ever Africa Cup of Nations championship. Senegal, sadly, could not win their first ever Africa Cup of Nations championship. They made the final back in 2002, but could not seal the deal that year. So, again, congratulations to Algeria. A little bit of a weird game-winning goal, but you know what? Algeria did not lose a single match in the entire tournament. They went undefeated the entire way through, and they even beat Senegal, too, in the group stage match when they played each other. So I think more than deserving champions, for sure, even if the final itself was a little, little wacky in how things ended up going and things ended up finishing. But nonetheless, big congratulations to Algeria. They got themselves an Africa. They are the champions of Africa. Africa Cup of Nations title for the second time ever. And for a lot of these Algerian players, especially after the disappointment of missing out on qualifying for the World Cup in Russia, I think this helps a little bit, especially for guys like Riyad Mahrez, like Figuli, who've been in this team for a while now and making their impact. And it's good to see them win a significant trophy. For Senegal, it'll have to be Better luck next time, I guess, for them. They still, again, Senegal still have a fantastic team. Nothing to be ashamed about about making the final this year. And, I mean, when you have Koulibaly and Sané and Adrissa Gay and Sadio Mane and Niang and all these other super talented players, I think Senegal will continue to be a force in Africa for many years to come. Anyway, that's pretty much all I got. Africa Cup of Nations was a fun tournament to watch. A ton of upsets in this tournament, and always a lot of fun. It's maybe not quite as prestigious in my eyes as, like, the Copa America is, but that's because the Copa America has a lot more history to it. But certainly the Africa Cup of Nations was an enjoyable tournament and one that I enjoyed watching, especially from the knockout stages onwards. My first music break of the day, Calvin Harris with Summer. And in my next segment, the Calgary Flames did something really, really interesting, is the word I'm going to use for right now. I'll get into all of that and the big NHL free agency stuff coming up after my music break. You're listening to CMRU.ca. By students, for you. When I met you in the summer, to my heartbeat sound, we fell in love as the leaves turned brown. And we could be together, baby, as long as skies are blue. You act so innocent now, but you light so soon. When I met you in the summer
Brendan here, and I'll be taking it's you through Tuesday, my show. It's Tuesday, and it's 9 o'clock, and you know what time Welcome it is. Welcome to the show. My name is Cody Millage. Thanks for joining us. Good morning, everybody. I hope you had a way better weekend than I did. I was stuck. New music, new talent, new name. CMRU.ca. By students, for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. I'm into my second segment of the day, and that is recapping NHL free agency, which I know is kind of wrapped up a little while ago, but or at least the, the majority of signings anyway. But with all the other stuff I had to talk about, I had to sort of put this one on the back burner. So I'm talking about it today. So I'll get into all of the free agency Big moves, big trades that were made around the draft as well. And, of course, I have a lot to say about the Calgary Flames' most recent trade, but I'll get to that in a couple minutes here. So, I'll start with the massive big money signing of free agency. Artemi Panarin went to the New York Rangers on a, let's just say, really expensive contract. He's he's going to be making over $11 million per season. With the Rangers, he actually, amazingly, the reports are that he took less to go to the Rangers, which means the Islanders, and there was one other team that I can't think of at this very moment, but there was the Islanders, and there was one other team that were after Panarin. I guess they were offering closer to $12 million. I mean, wow, that's crazy to me, but n- nothing against Panarin. He's a fantastic player, absolute star, can build your forward group around him, but is he worth, like, the over $11 million he's being paid? Probably not. But for the Rangers, for where they are in their situation, it's not terrible. And that's just because the Rangers are sort of coming out of a rebuild. But they have a lot of really good young players, but they don't really have a lot of dead weight on their cap. So I think actually for the Rangers, this is a good signing. Even though, yes, they're overpaying for Panera and they're getting an absolute star at winger who they can build their team around, and the Rangers are in a situation right now where they can afford to pay Panarin what he wants. So, I don't know. I I think it's a good signing for the Rangers. It's too expensive, but for their situation, it's not that bad. Like, it would be a lot worse if another team, you know, with more cap issues had tried to sign Panarin, for example. But, I mean, credit to the Rangers for getting the deal done. Panarin joins what I think is a pretty good Rangers team. Like, granted, I don't think they're quite at a Stanley Cup contender mode quite yet, but having the number two pick in the draft, getting Capococco with that, and bringing in Panarin, and you got Jacob Truba now from Winnipeg. By the way, that was a fantastic trade by the Rangers, getting Truba from Winnipeg. He signed a contract worth $8 million annually, and... The Rangers, I think, are a playoff contender next year, 100%. I don't quite think they're, you know, at a Stanley Cup contender level, but I don't think they're that far away from that, to be honest. I think this team, this Rangers team, could really surprise people next year. I I would not be surprised if they were fighting to the very last day for a wildcard spot next season. I think they got so much better this offseason. The next big, big money signing was Sergei Bobrovsky to Florida, although this was kind of, I think everybody kind of knew Bobrovsky was going to go to Florida. It it seemed like the match was, you know, made months ago and stuff. But anyway, Bobrovsky got a contract worth up to $10 million a season, the second highest contract of any goalie in the league, just behind Carey Price. I mean, this was a move that had to be made. Carol, for, sorry, for Florida, my apologies, for the Florida Panthers, It was really about the fact that Luongo retired and they didn't have any other goalies. So they needed a goalie desperately. And so they paid for a really good goalie in Bobrovsky. And I don't blame them for doing that. The contract kind of sucks because of the term because they got him on a seven-year deal. So the last couple years of that contract might be a little dicey for the Panthers. But in the short term, with the team they have, they had to make this move. And I fully support what the Panthers are trying to do right now. They're trying to get into this win-now mode because they know that Barkov and Huberto and a whole bunch of, like, Ekblad, these young guys they got, they're going to be coming into their prime, and they want to be in a position to win now. That's why they brought in Joel Quenville, a coach, of course, three-time Stanley Cup champion with the Chicago Blackhawks. And now they got Sergei Bobrovsky, who is a Vesna-winning goalie coming over from Columbus. And even though the term is a little bit too high for my liking... 
I think this signing had to be made, and therefore, good on Florida for getting this deal done. The next highest was Matt Duchesne. He ended up actually going for a little bit less than I thought he would. He ended up going for about $8 million annually to the Nashville Predators. And this signing surprised me just because I was hearing in all the reports from different people in the NHL, it's just that he was going to sign for like $10 million. And I was reading them, and I'm like, how is he going to... Like, Matt Duchesne isn't close to a $10 million player. But $8 million is actually not too bad. It's actually pretty reasonable. It's... I'm not saying it's a fair price for Duchesne, but it's like a normal free agent overpay. Because if you're paying a guy, if you're bringing in a free agent to your team, odds are you're going to have to overpay for them. Nashville overpaid about what you'd normally overpay for a free agent. Nothing egregious, and $8 million annually isn't too bad, to be honest. For Nashville, they certainly hope that they got a guy who, even if he's not a number one center, he's at least a 1A, 1B with Brian Johansson, who's still there. So, for Nashville, though, it's really, when you think about the subtraction and addition, it's about the P.K. Subban trade, which I'll get to here. Subban was traded to the New Jersey Devils for really not a whole lot. And so, the Predators basically swapped out Subban for Duchesne. Is that going to work out for them? I mean, maybe. It really, it depends how you look at it. Because they're obviously, Nashville's defense is now a lot weaker without Subban. But... Subban never played on the top pairing in Nashville. He was always on the second pairing. And now, granted, he was very important to their power play that was still really bad. And without Subban, probably gets worse. But as far as being the shutdown pair, that was Ryan Ellis and Roman Yossi. Those are the shutdown... Those two make up the shutdown pair in Nashville. So Subban, as a number three in Nashville, isn't being utilized to his fullest potential. And I think... Getting in Duchesne, getting in a center that they needed at a position they really needed. It's not a terrible addition-subtraction thing for Nashville, to be honest. I mean, in a perfect world, you'd love to have both. But in a salary cap world, you can't. So, not too bad. For New Jersey, though, what a steal. I mean, granted, Subban's contract kind of sucks for the AAV, the average annual value. But he's a good player. And I think, I think he still has a lot to offer because he's still a good skater, he's still a good power play quarterback, and he can still eat up a ton of minutes on that Devils defense. New Jersey, by the way, also got a hell of a lot better with Subban's trade, and they also, of course, drafted Jack Hughes number one overall. And so New Jersey, not too bad heading into next year. Obviously, for the Devils, the reason why they're trying to improve their team as much as they are is because of Taylor Hall. Taylor Hall is a free agent. This upcoming seat or uh, next offseason, I should say, and New Jersey don't want to lose him, so they need to convince him that they have a team that he should stay with. Anyway, some of the other signings: Joe Pavelski went to the Dallas Stars. This signing, I mean, San Jose were kind of in a cap bind with the Eric Carlson signing eating up a lot of their cap, so I sort of get why this happened. It's just going to be really weird seeing Joe Pavelski in a jersey that isn't a Sharks jersey because he's been there his whole career. So seeing him in anything else is going to look weird, but good on Dallas for getting some secondary scoring. Michael Furland sadly went to the Vancouver Canucks. I'm, I'm upset about this one because I love Michael Furland and he was always one of my favorite players on the Calgary Flames. And now he's going to be playing for the team that he, lo- he loved to torment in the Vancouver Canucks. Vancouver actually made a good signing here. I'm not going to bash the Canucks at all for this. I think it was a great signing. They got him at $3.5 million a season. Furland's... I mean, yeah, Furland's not really like a top-end player, but he can score some goals. He's a good skater. He'll get you some... Like, he's an aggressive guy. He'll get you some hits. He'll get you some energy. Furland's a good player to have on your team. And sadly... He is no longer torturing the Canucks. He is now playing for them. So that that's unfortunate just because I love Furland so much. And it's going to be really weird seeing him playing the Flames this upcoming season. Anyway, on to another Canadian team. The Toronto Maple Leafs made a massive trade when they sent Nazem Kadri to Colorado in exchange for Tyson Berry alongside Alex Kerfoot. There were a couple other pieces in this trade, but those are kind of the main ones, is Barry and Kerfoot to Toronto and Kadri to Colorado. I love this trade for 
both teams because Toronto get Kerfoot, who, granted, I mean, he's not the best player ever, but he's a solid depth guy in, you know, who can play on their third line. And Tyson Berry, they needed a defenseman, especially with Jake Gardner not coming back, or at least probably not. And because I guess Gardner's still unsigned. So I guess there's a chance he comes back to Toronto, but I don't expect him to anyway. But with Barry, with Morgan Riley, with Jake Muzzin, Toronto have an okay defense. It's not terrific, but considering their forward group, you're never going to have a terrific defense if you're the Maple Leafs. So I like the trade for them. And I love the trade for Colorado too because Nazem Kadri gives them a legitimate number two center on that team and gives them just more options. Because Colorado, I think everyone knew their problem was that they have three superstars. Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen. Those three are ridiculously good. And the rest of their roster is sort of, you know, eh, not the best. But with the young defensemen they have, I think they're okay in replacing Barry's production to some degree, especially with Kale McCarr going to be playing full-time with the Avalanche next season. And getting Kadri as the number two center now. They also signed um, Jonas Donskoy, formerly of the Sharks. I think Colorado did really well this offseason. So it's kind of a win-win trade, to be honest. I don't see a negative either way in this deal. All right. Got through all of that. And now the very unfortunate part. Sorry. The Calgary Flames. So first of all, the Flames' first signing was kind of neutral to me. They signed Cam Talbot for a one-year deal, $2.5 million a season. And Edmonton signed Mike Smith. So even though it wasn't a trade, they kind of swapped backup goalies. Kind of a neutral move to me. I don't, I don't dislike it, but I don't really like it. It's kind of like, you know, feels like we're in the same spot. David Riddick's going to be the number one goalie for Calgary next year. And for Edmonton, I mean, Mike Smith is cheap. They're hoping what he did in the playoffs is somewhat sustainable, at least a little bit. For Calgary, they're hoping that Cam Talbot can have a little bit of a rebound year. Which, granted, at his age, I mean, he isn't that far removed from having a terrific season. So, I don't think it's that bad, actually. At least, you know, the goalie swap's okay. The trade that they made with Edmonton was not okay. So, for those of you who didn't hear about the trade, excuse me, sorry. The Calgary Flames traded James Neal to the Edmonton Oilers for Milan Lucic. Edmonton also sends a third-round pick to Calgary, and they have to retain $750,000 per season of Milan Lucic's contract. Before I get into how angry I am about the Flames, this is a great trade for Edmonton. So the Oilers got rid of a horrible contract. And granted, I mean, James Neal also has a horrible contract. But Neal has a better chance of rebounding, in my opinion, because unlike Lucic, Neal's coming off one bad season for Calgary. And before that, he had scored 20 goals in each of his NHL seasons. Now, do I think he's going to score 20 goals in Edmonton? Not necessarily. I think Neil's speed is definitely a problem in the NHL just because he's not that fast anymore. But when you consider he's a right-handed shot who plays right wing and the Oilers need right wingers because they don't really have any, I think there's a, it makes a lot of sense for Edmonton anyway to try and get him to rebound at least a little bit because odds are James Neal is going to be playing with either Connor McDavid or Ryan Nugent Hopkins. If I had to guess, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, because I think they're probably going to keep Dreisaitl and McDavid together, and then Nugent Hopkins would have James Neal on his wing. But if he's playing with those guys, especially if he gets power play minutes, which I think he probably will, if Neal gets power play minutes and he gets some playing time either on the second line or the first line in Edmonton, even if he doesn't score 20 goals again, I think it's reasonable that he would double his goal total He had seven goals this past year for Calgary, which was by far the lowest in his NHL career. I think it's reasonable that he could double his goal total. He could easily have 14, 15 goals next season playing in a top six role in Edmonton because of the players he'd be playing with. So 
that's the best case scenario for Edmonton is that Neil rebounds and he's a good right winger. He can score 14, 15 goals for them, right? I mean, his contract sucks, but I think Edmonton at this point knew that they weren't, there's no way they're going to avoid the bad contract that Lucic has. It's more about trying to get something better in. I think they did. They got, I think, a better player in with more upside. And most importantly, and this is where I'm really upset, they got a contract that's way better to get rid of if they have to. Because if Neal continues to suck for Edmonton like he did for Calgary, the Oilers can buy him out and they could save about $4 million on their cap by doing it. And James Neal does not have a no move, which means he does not have to be protected in the expansion draft when Seattle come into the NHL in a couple years from now. So, fantastic trade for Edmonton. They are massive winners in this trade. Which means the Calgary Flames are losers. And I want you to think about something right now, because I thought about this. and it, Granted, it was tough. When was the last time the Oilers won a trade? Because you have to think really hard about this. Because the Oilers have lost trades for like a decade. They have not won a trade in forever, it feels like. They won this trade, I think, hands down. Because what in the actual... Like, there are a lot of words I want to say that are not on-air appropriate about this trade. Because I am so angry, because Brad Tree leaving made the dumbest, most boneheaded trade I've ever seen. Like, what is he thinking? Honestly, what is he thinking? This trade has zero positive impact for Calgary. Absolutely none. Anyone who says that there's positive impact, I think, is flat out wrong. So, Milan Lucic is not only a player coming off some horrible seasons where he's clearly declined as a player... He also has zero foot speed like James Neal, but has a worse contract than James Neal does. And the Flames only saved like half a million dollars on their cap. And it's like, oh man, damn, that half a million dollars is really going to help them this year. Sign Andrew. Ma- oh, wait, no, Magiapani's way more than half a million dollars a season. It's really going to help them sign Matthew. Kuch- oh, wait, no, Kachuk is going to be way more than that as well. Kachuk's going to make like eight or nine million. And it's going to, you know what, that half a million dollars is going to be great for helping them sign Sam Bennett. Oh, wait, Bennett's going to get like three plus million. Oh, wait, maybe David, no, David Riddick's going to get, the half a million dollars doesn't help Calgary at all in their salary cap situation. It also just doesn't help that Lucic, at best, is going to be on the fourth line and he's going to get like, what, five goals and ten assists? That's, like, pretty much the best case Calgary can hope for for him. Because he's going to play on the fourth line, if he even gets there at all. To be honest, I was thinking about this. The Flames roster is such that I would rather play a lot of players over Lucic. And I think there's a decent chance he ends up being a healthy scratch by the end of the season, where he's just going to be eating popcorn. And it's just, why? I don't know. James Neal had a better chance of rebounding, and he's a way better contract. And this is the worst part, yeah, this is the contract of Lucic. So, Lucic's contract, at least for Calgary's cap, is less than what Neil's cap is for Edmonton because of the salary retention. But Lucic has a contract that you can't buy out. So, if Calgary tried to buy out Lucic's contract, it would be about the same on their cap as it would be if he's on the team. So, you can't buy him out, number one. And number two, he has a no-move clause which means that when Seattle come into the league a couple years from now the Flames have to protect Lucic in an expansion draft Lucic has to be protected over countless other players that I'm sure Calgary would much rather protect and that's the worst part of this trade is that Calgary are sacrificing a potential impactful player for a guy who's way over the hill at best, is going to be on the fourth line if he's not, you know, eating popcorn. He's a healthy scratch. But how does... I don't know. Brad Living, I get it. He's... Overall, he's made a lot more good moves than bad moves as Calgary general manager. But I cannot in any way understand why he made this move. There is zero positive things for Calgary. This trade is straight up trash. Straight up awful. 
you could throw it in the garbage can and just set it on fire because it's that bad. It's horrible. Horrifying trade. James Neal, I get it. He wasn't very good last year. But there was a chance he would rebound. And even if he didn't, at least you don't have to protect him in an expansion draft. Because now, I actually looked ahead to this. Assuming Calgary keep a similar roster to what they have right now, which of course isn't a guarantee, but obviously when the expansion draft comes around, Calgary would have to protect Goudreau, Monaghan, Lindholm, Kachuk, and then in my opinion, Maggiapani and Dylan Dubé. And then Lucic would be the seventh player, which means you have Michael Backlund, you have Sam Bennett if he resigns like I expect him to, and <laughs> I mean, you have Derek Ryan, like you have these impactful players that are going to have to be sacrificed because Lucic has to be protected. I don't love that. I hate that. I hate that with every bone in my body. And the fact that Edmonton won a trade says all you need to know about this trade for Calgary. Brad, you're living. I have no idea if Ken Holland has some incriminating photos of you or something, but please, please do not make any more trades with the Oilers because that trade was completely lopsided and Calgary are the biggest losers in this trade by a mile. They got a way worse contract for a worse player and, I mean, what, a third-round pick? Yay, a third-round pick. Terrible trade. Awful, awful, awful trade. Nothing more than that. It's just, there is nothing good about that trade for Calgary. Nothing good. It is a horrible trade for a guy who's probably going to be a healthy scratch by the end of the year. Because I, when you look at the Flames fringe players, I'd rather play all of them over Lucic. Zarnik can skate. Dubé is young and growing and potentially really good, as opposed to as opposed to Lucic. If Frolik stays on the team, I'd much rather have him, because again, he can skate, he can score a little bit, he can play defense. So I don't I just There is no logical reason why this trade should have been made. And Brad you're living, what in the actual world were you doing? And again, I'd use much harsher language if I wasn't on air today. Anyway, that's all I have to say about NHL free agency. A lot of crazy stuff went down. And you know what? I always love seeing what goes down in NHL free agency. Next year should be really fun. And as far as my biggest winners, I think Vancouver did really well in getting Myers and getting Furland, especially at the you know contracts that they got them for. I think New Jersey and the New York Rangers both did really well. I think Nashville and Car- so Nashville and Florida kind of did what they needed to. Carolina were kind of a weird one for me, to be honest, in this free agency. I think Toronto and Colorado did really well, though. So, And then Edmonton did as well as they could have in their situation. And Calgary made one pretty neutral move and one pretty terrible move. Anyway, my next music break, just the one song, Brian Adams and Summer of 69. You're listening to CMRU.ca by students for you. I got my first real six string, boy, at the five and done. Played it till my fingers bled. Was a summer of 69.
Be yourself. Enjoy listening to any songs on CMRU.ca by students for you. Welcome back to Moments of Genius here on CMRU.ca by students for you. I am into now my last two segments of my final show for the summer, which is a little sad. But you know what? These, these are really exciting ones just because now that sports is sort of in a little bit of a, a lull period where there's not as much going on right now as there normally is, this is kind of the downtime before at least the European soccer leagues kick back up and then the NFL gets started again and stuff like that. So I thought I would do a bit of a look back and then a look ahead. So I'm going to do a look ahead to what you can look forward to in 2019 and 2020 in my last segment. And then in this segment, I'm going to be doing my top 10 storylines of the summer. And these are from all the different competitions and I want to preface this by saying this is just my opinion. If you disagree on where I rank something, absolutely feel free to disagree. What I hope that everyone would agree with me on is that these 10 storylines are significant. Even if maybe they're not the way you see the importance of a storyline over the summer from this sporting year. I mean, hopefully there's still the significance there that you realize is there. So anyway... I'll get started. My top 10 summer sports storylines. I'll start at number 10, where I go to the Women's World Cup. And my number 10 storyline is the Italian surprise. Because Italy was the team that I think surprised me the most. They, I think, have the best underdog story of any team at the Women's World Cup. They made it all the way to the quarterfinals. And... They even won their group. They beat out both Australia and Brazil to win the group. And then they beat China in the round of 16. They lost to eventual World Cup finalists, the Netherlands. But I don't think there is any shame in that. I think Italy did themselves, their federation, and most importantly, every little boy and girl living in Italy very proud of what they accomplished this summer. My number nine storyline of the summer is... Los Angeles is the epicenter of basketball. And this purely has to do with NBA free agency. But LeBron James and Anthony Davis are now with the Lakers. Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are now with the Clippers. Regardless of where you where you see those teams as, you know, championship contenders or not, you have to admit that all the media attention, all of the intrigue in the NBA next season, is largely going to be around the two Los Angeles teams. And I cannot wait to watch these two teams play each other because those games are going to be so fun to watch, especially since they they share the same arena. So should be a whole lot of fun. My number nine storyline is Los Angeles is now the epicenter of basketball. My number eight storyline of the summer is... The Africa Cup of Nations champion, Algeria. Algeria is now the king of Africa for the second time in their history. Algeria, of course, went through the entire tournament without losing a match. And you know what? Full credit to their team. I think they were fully deserving of winning in the end. Even though, you know, it got a little bit of fortune in the final. But as the saying goes, you have to be good to be lucky. My number seven storyline of the summer... Does anybody need Neymar? Brazil won the Copa América without him. And they actually played pretty well, for the most part, without Neymar. PSG, I don't think want Neymar anymore. But Barcelona, who Neymar wants to go to, I don't think they want him either. So, does anybody want Neymar at this point? Like, really? Like, he's he's a really good player, but it's just... Neymar is kind of a bit of a circus show a lot of the time when it comes to the media he draws and he's turned into a bit of an injury prone player so I don't know that'll be something curious but Brazil won the Copa America no Neymar in sight that's to me a pretty significant storyline because I don't think they need him anyway my number six storyline of the summer the New York disaster Obviously, Brooklyn did really well, but the actual basketball team called the New York Knicks did not. They had 
the absolute nightmare scenario that everyone was fearing would happen, and it came true. They did not win the draft lottery to get Zion Williamson. They did not get Kevin Durant. They did not get Kyrie Irving. They didn't even get Jimmy Butler or Tobias Harris. Nope. They got Julius Randle and a whole bunch of power forwards. And they traded away Chris Stapp's Porzingis for absolutely nothing. The Knicks right now have to be, if they're not the worst, they are certainly in the top three, I think, of the worst run organizations in basketball. I think that's undoubtedly true because their decision making over the last year has been awful. And in the end, this disaster that they have is proof of why it was. My number five storyline of the summer, Gloria St. Louis. The Blues won their first ever Stanley Cup. And I know it's a little under the radar in this country because all the Canadian teams got knocked out in the first round. But you know what? That was a massive story for St. Louis. Massive congratulations to them and credit where credit is due. I mean, the Blues did not have an easy series. They had to go six with the Jets. They had to go seven with the Stars. They had to go six with the Sharks. And they had to go seven in the Stanley Cup final against Boston. So it was never easy, but they got the job done. And for the St. Louis Blues, they have their first ever Stanley Cup title. And that's awesome. So they're my number five storyline, the St. Louis Blues. My number four storyline, the champions repeat. And I'm talking about the U.S. women's national team who won their second straight women's World Cup title and their fourth ever in their history. I think, I don't know, watching the U.S. women's team was interesting. There was never a a dull moment in watching them throughout the Women's World Cup. But they were the best team, quite clearly, in that tournament. And you know what? France was one of the top teams in the tournament. They beat them. They beat England, one of the top teams in the tournament. And they beat, ultimately, the European champions in the Netherlands. So the United States certainly deserving of their World Cup victory And the question is, can somebody top them at the Olympics next year in Tokyo? We'll have to wait and see. But the champions repeat. That's my number four storyline of the summer. My number three storyline of the summer, all-time classic at Wimbledon. I'm talking about the men's Wimbledon final, of course, between Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic. This game was utterly intense, back and forth. And in the end, they went the distance, and Djokovic won in a tiebreaker. Fantastic game of tennis, though. I wish I could have talked about it a little bit more on my show last week, but it really was absolute greatness on full display. And then my number two and my number one storyline. This was really close. It was really tough because I I almost put the storyline I put at number two at number one just because I think they were that close. But I opted to... I opted to leave what I think most people probably think I put number one, number one. Anyway, my number two storyline, Madagascar's Cinderella run. Madagascar had never qualified for the Africa Cup of Nations before this year. They finally qualified for the first time ever. And not only did they do that, but they got out of the group, won a round of 16 game, and made it all the way to the quarterfinals. They basically did what Iceland did at Euro 2016. So... Madagascar, I mean, there was not a better underdog story than Madagascar this summer. So, props to them. And, of course, number one, I don't think it's that hard to guess what it is, but Canada has a basketball champion. The Toronto Raptors winning the NBA championship for the first time ever in their history has to be the number one storyline of the summer for me. What that win will do for basketball in Canada, I think, is going to be unbelievable. And the Toronto Raptors really inspired a nation and gave Canada a signature basketball moment. Something that we did not have until this year. Even though I know it sucks that Kawhi Leonard left the team, I mean, it was all worth it. Because when Raptors fans see that banner going up in their arena to begin next season, they'll remember that it was all worth it. Anyway... That's all I got on that. My last segment, I'll look ahead to things you can look forward to for the rest of 2019 and looking ahead to 2020 as well, as far as sporting events. My next music break, I just have the one song, Shawn Mendes and Camila Cabello, I Know What You Did Last Summer. CMRU, by students for you.
secrets that I keep Does he know it's killing me? He knows, he knows, does he know? Another's hands have touched my skin I won't tell him where I've been He knows, he knows, he knows Stabbing me apart She's slipping away Am I just hanging on to all the words she used to say? The picture's on her phone She's not coming home Coming home, coming home I know what you did last summer Just like to me there's no other Welcome back to Moments of Genius, my last segment of the day, my last segment of the summer, my show. This is my last show for the summer. I will hopefully, well, okay, I should be back in the fall at some point. It's just I don't know when or where that will be yet just because schedules still have to come out and stuff like that. But anyway, the last thing I want to do is, since this is my last show, it's a look ahead to things to look forward to, big sporting events for the rest of 2019 and as well into 2020. So as far as things to look forward to in 2019 specifically, the NFL season is going to start up again, obviously. And of course, a lot of fun storylines. The NFC, in my opinion, just stacked with good teams. And of course, can the Patriots really win again? Because if Brady has seven Super Bowl rings, I mean, I don't even know. At this point, it's just He's going to win so much that no one's even going to come close as far as like a winning perspective. But anyway, NFL season, always all kinds of fun. That'll be kicking off in September, or at least like the actual season. Preseason, don't watch preseason. Preseason's not fun. It's really boring. Anyway, other things to look forward to. In the end of September, the track and field world championships take place this year. The lead up event to the Olympic Games, of course, which take place in Tokyo in 2020. The Track and Field World Championships, a ton of very fun storylines to watch. And of course, I hope anyway, Andre DeGrasse can get up to speed. 
He's dealt with injuries a lot for Canada over the last little while, but he is certainly our track superstar in the sprinting game. And I think in to- for the Olympics in Tokyo, he'll certainly be one of the contenders to possibly win the 100 meters. NBA parody is something to look forward to when the NBA season gets started. I mean, there hasn't really been parody for a long time now. And I know parody isn't great long term for a league, but at least uh, at least a one year break will be nice from the massive super teams that we had over the past couple of years. And we kind of know who's already getting to the finals. Having some, you know, questions about who's going to get there, I think, is very exciting. Obviously, the NHL season, all kinds of fun. There's, I think there's a lot of optimism in a lot of the Canadian NHL markets that aren't Ottawa. So, you know, a lot to look forward to there as well. In soccer terms, Liverpool and Manchester City, it looks like they're going to just lock horns again as who's the best team in Europe. These two are, I think, just a step ahead of everybody else in the European game. And the players they have are unbelievable. Liverpool versus City round three should be really fun to watch. And you look at El Clasico, too. Barcelona and Real Madrid have definitely ramped up their squads. They've just completely changed things to a large extent. Barcelona getting Frankie de Jong as a big-time midfield signing from Ajax. Also getting superstar Antoine Griezmann from Atletico Madrid. And then Real Madrid got Luka Jovic, who was just lighting the world on fire in the Bundesliga last year. And then Eden Hazard from Chelsea, of course. And then we have the 2020 Olympics, like I mentioned, in Tokyo. All kinds of events. There's surfing this year. Obviously, you got the swimming. You got the track and field. You got, I mean, <laughs> basically almost every sport is in the Olympics. So the Olympic Games should be fun to watch. And then, of course, last but certainly not least, UEFA Euro 2020. The European Championships will take place next summer. And it's the 60-year anniversary of the European Championships. And so the tournament is not being held in one country. It's being held all across Europe in so many different cities. I think Euro 2020 should be spectacular. And for me personally, I I know this for a neutral wouldn't make Euro 2020 more exciting. But for me anyway, the fact that Finland have a decent chance of qualifying for the first time ever. I mean, if if they qualified for this tournament, like... That would be so unbelievably special because Finland's not a soccer country, but they're close. Like, like they could do it this year. I really hope they get there because to watch one of my countries that isn't Chile in a major international soccer competition would be unbelievable. And that's just because Chile is a soccer country, just like Finland's a hockey country. But to see Finland possibly make the European Championships would be unbelievable. And I really hope they do it. But the tournament itself, regardless, should be fantastic. I love how they're setting it up. I love that they have different countries involved. And should be all kinds of fun to watch some of the best countries in the world go at it next summer. My last music break of the day, my last music break of my show, I'm going to sign off with Wolfmother and Joker and the Thief. I want to thank everyone for tuning in to my show today or any of my shows. Remember, they're all available on podcast if you missed any of them through iTunes and stuff like that. So you know what? Definitely feel free to listen anytime you want. And once again, big thank you to everybody for tuning in. It was so much fun getting to talk about the Women's World Cup and the Copa America and all the other sporting events that I get to talk about during the summer. All right. So... One last goodbye, and I'll leave you with my music break. (laughs) 